This is Trek FM. Helling frequencies open. This is your Trek FM Hyper Channel for Sunday, May 18th, 2014. I'm Christopher Jones, and we have three stories for you today. Michael Giacchino talks Star Trek live in concert. Voyager points the way to liberation through loss. And Patrick Stewart grills the Smithsonian director on Star Trek. First up, earlier in the week we told you about the Star Trek live in concert performances coming later this month to the Royal Albert Hall in London. Now, if you'd like a more behind the scenes view of the event and the music, StarTrek.com has just what you're looking for. They've published an interview with Michael Giacchino in which the composer talks about scoring the films Star Trek 2009 and Star Trek Into Darkness, as well as lots of other things that he's worked on as well. Now, currently, Giacchino is working on the scores for Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and Jupiter Ascending. But in between that work, he is going to squeeze into a few of these live performances and be there on hand. Now, if you remember what I described the other day, the performances are a full orchestra on the stage performing the scores. Uh, they're two separate events, by the way. There's the Star Trek 2009 event, and then there's also the Star Trek Into Darkness event a couple of days later. Now, this tour is kicking off on May 24th, and it's going to actually start in Switzerland, then hop over to London for the performances at the end of the month, and then it's going to the United States. And for those of you over in the States who won't be able to make it to the London performances, currently for July, there are nights scheduled for Houston and San Diego. I don't know yet if there will be more added. I think it probably depends a bit on how those go, but at least it will be coming to two different areas of the country in July. Now, in this interview, it's actually quite a long interview, so I really encourage you to go over and read it. I did pull a few bits out here, a few questions that I wanted to share with you that StarTrek.com asked. They asked Giacchino, what do you think hearing the scores live adds to the experience for a moviegoer? Or is it the other way around? What does hearing the score live and seeing the movie add to the experience for a concert goer? Because again, the, the orchestra is going to be on stage performing and they're going to be showing the film on the big screen at the same time. A really cool experience, actually. And what Giacchino said about this was, I think it is a dual experience. Now, of course, that sounds like a throwaway answer. He did go into a bit more detail, a little bit disconnected from the question, but very interesting nevertheless, just to, to hear the views of the composer himself. You know, it's like as an artist or designer or a writer, you know, you do this stuff as a creative exercise for yourself and you you don't necessarily perceive it in the same way that the audience does. So it's always nice to, to see an interview like this one. They also ask him, as a kid growing up and later as a composer in your own right, what did you enjoy most about the scores created for the Star Trek shows and movies by Alexander Courage? Jerry Goldsmith, Cliff Eidelman, Dennis McCarthy, Ron Jones, etc. And Giacchino said, I was a fan of the original series and then the first few Star Trek films. Those were the scores that resonated most with me. By the time the newer series came out, I was in college with very little time to watch TV. So my Star Trek lies in the hands of people like Alexander Courage, Gerald Freed, Jerry Goldsmith, and James Horner. And I'm sort of... In between, I guess, where Giacchino is, I was in high school when The Next Generation came out, so I did have time to watch a bit then, 
but then as you move into university, it does get more and more difficult. And where, where, where was I? I guess I was, actually, I remember the cliffhanger of the best of both worlds was right there. Um, the summer of my, after my freshman year in university, I remember what that was like. So I know what he's talking about here a bit. And, and certainly, I mean, gosh, the scores of Alexander Courage, Jerry Goldsmith, especially, and of course, Gerald Freed with the mock time thing. I mean, that's become part of pop culture in general. Who doesn't know? Da, 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 da. You got. You have to know that. You love Star Trek. You know that. Even if you don't love Star Trek, you know that one. So the, the other question that I pulled out here was, as someone majoring in music composition with dreams to be a film composer, what advice can you offer? And Giacchino said, go to the film department and get to know aspiring filmmakers and work on their projects. Forming relationships is key to working as a film composer. And that's absolutely true, really, anything you do. Networking and relationships are critical. I mean, that's how you you get the gigs. That's how you you make the, the connections and you get to work on projects you want to work on. You never know where you'll find yourself if you do that. But especially if you're in music and you want to be a composer, absolutely, yes, go talk to the people who are studying to become filmmakers. They're going to need your services in the future. And, you know, no amount of... of of work on your resume can can fill the gap of not having that connection from when you're younger with someone, when you're friends and you're both creatives and you want to work together on projects. Great advice there. Now, this is a really long interview, as I mentioned. I pulled out three questions. There are, I didn't count them, but maybe 10, 12 questions there. It's quite thorough. Go over to StarTrek.com and check it out. If you go there right now, it's probably going to be right up there at the top of the newsfeed but we'll put a link to it on the show page for this episode of Hyper Channel as well. Now, our next story will be of great interest for those of you living in the Delta Quadrant. And this is Voyager Points the Way to Liberation Through Loss. It's a very interesting headline which caught my eye as I was looking around. Now, this is an article over on npr.org by Alva Noe. Now, Alva, I may be mispronouncing your name there. It's N-O-E with an umlaut just like Zoe. So so I think that's it. But Alva is actually watching Voyager for the very first time right now in 2014. And that's amazing. It, it's unusual, I think, to find someone. I, I know the people are out there, but I, I don't talk to many people who have never seen Voyager who are watching it for the first time right now. So it's really refreshing to get some new first-time impressions of this show 20 years after it premiered. In the article, Alva writes, well, first of all, she grew up like I did, watching TOS and reruns. And then later TNG came around and she said she was an enthusiastic viewer of TNG and DS9, but somehow missed Voyager. So thanks to the internet, and she doesn't name any names, but I'm guessing it's probably Netflix, or cbs.com. She's watching Voyager for the first time. And I pulled out a couple of things here that I want to quote from the article. Ava writes, so Voyager begins with the profoundest of loss, and this loss is like a blanket covering every adventure and every challenge. What matters if no one I love or care about or am related to ever knows about what I do or what happens to me? 
The puzzle at the heart of Voyager is that the crew is cast away, lost in space, and so they are not so much set adrift as set free. As the messages from home start flowing in, I found myself fearing for the crew. To hear from loved ones, from employers, to find out the news of home was to be found, it was to be captured. This is a theme that's been on my mind a lot lately, she writes. I wonder if I would have viewed these episodes differently had I watched them back in the late 90s, before the age of 24-hour email, internet, multimedia, workplay, ensnarement that characterizes life today. And I think that is a really good point, and it's one that maybe I haven't really thought about very much with Voyager, because when I look at Voyager, I tend to focus on the fact that some of what she describes here was set up really, really well in the concept of the show. You fling this crew across the galaxy. They're out of touch with everyone. And there's going to be struggle. They're probably going to need to be a generational ship. You've got Starfleet. You've got the Maquis. They don't get along. It was almost set up to be like a Battlestar Galactica. But then it all just kind of fizzled out and it settled back into the familiar Star Trek formula for the most part. But so far, it seems that that Alva is not really seeing it that way. So those are the things that I tend to focus on. But at the same time, Alva has a really good point here. Another thing that I always talk about with Star Trek is the fact that as you get older, you see new things in the episodes and they connect with you in a different way as you go through life. And it depends on where you are in your life. And as she says, these are things that have been on her mind a lot lately. I think it's wonderful that she's actually seeing that message in Voyager, and it's connecting with her. So sort of the the bottom line of what she's going for there is that it's liberation through loss, she said, talking about how in an age of so much information, clutter, and noise, sometimes we need to get away from it all. And Voyager really was, uh, like she said, not so much set adrift, but set free. And that's an interesting take on it. I'm curious what you think about that. If you're listening to this, uh, go read the article, first of all, on npr.org. We'll put a link on the show page for this episode of Hyper Channel so you can get over there. Uh, Go read it. uh, Think about this point here and let us know what you think. Uh, Tell me if you agree. Do you feel this way about Voyager? And uh, you can contact us on our website, trek.fm slash contact. Of course, we're on Facebook, G+, Twitter, and I'll give you all those links here at the end of the show. Uh, Twitter is probably the quickest way to grab us, and that's username TrekFM. All right, we have one last thing here. And if you've been to the Smithsonian and you looked around and you couldn't find the Resican flute from the inner light, well, don't worry. Captain Picard has your back. Patrick Stewart grills Smithsonian director on Star Trek. That's the story on U.S. News and World Report. Now, Patrick Stewart was at the National Museum of American History to present four costumes from the latest X-Men film, which are being donated to the collection. And he turned his attention to the museum director, John Gray, and started kind of grilling him about the lack of Star Trek items in the museum. And he said, and I'm not going to try to do my Patrick Stewart voice here, so... I I don't think you want to hear that, but he said, I am right in assuming you have no Star Trek artifacts, none. 
And then he was informed by museum staffers that the institution does in fact have the pointy ears worn by Leonard Nimoy. But this didn't seem to be enough for Patrick Stewart. He didn't seem pleased. He was kind of semi-jokingly continuing on with the grilling. And he said, oh, you have Spock's ears? I trust they are in a room all by themselves. And he said that he's going to make it his personal mission to see if there's not something of real significance. You know, not that Leonard Nimoy's ears are not significant, he said, that I can at least offer to you. So it sounds like Patrick Stewart's going to go see what he can deliver to the Smithsonian to add to the Star Trek items that they have there already. Maybe that Reskin flute will be there. Maybe a cup of Earl Grey tea will be there under glass. Uh, Maybe the roll-up piano from Lessons, and that would be something, wouldn't it? Who knows? Um, I Personally, I want to see a barrel roll exhibit in the Smithsonian. I think, um, you know, if, if someone pulls the fire alarm in the Smithsonian, I think you should be able to do a barrel roll to escape the museum, Geordie style. All right, well, if you want to read the whole story, you can find it over on the U.S. News and World Report website, and we will put a link to that in the show notes as well. All right, I have a network update for you, and it's Sunday, which means books and comics here on the network and literary treks. In this week's episode, Matthew and I are joined by our own Drew Stewart from Trek FM's TOS show Standard Orbit and Dan Gunther of Trek Lit Reviews to discuss David R. George III's Lost Era novel, Serpents Among the Ruins. This is the second book in our series of shows that prepare you for the upcoming release of One Constant Star. In last week's show, we covered The Captain's Daughter, and you may be wondering, what do all three of these books have in common? Well, they all focus on the Enterprise B, Captain Harriman, and Demora Sulu. I can hear you right now. Captain Harriman, what's up? Is the book being delivered on Tuesday? Well, let me just tell you, I've I've never been the biggest fan of Captain Harriman myself after that opening scene in Generations. But I will say he gets a lot better in the books, especially in Serpents Among the Ruins, where he actually seems like a real captain who deserves to sit in the big chair on the Federation flagship. It was actually a very good book. Uh, Captain's Daughter was as well, and we can't wait to read One Constant Star. So if you want to get set for that as well, go and check out the episode. You'll find it in your feeds coming up Sunday night if you subscribe to the individual feed for Literary Treks or to the Trek of Him Complete Master Feed. You can also catch it through your favorite podcast source, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, Swell, BlackBerry, or more. You can also stream or grab the RSS link from our website and pop that into your favorite podcatcher. Well, that's our look at news for today. If you're streaming the show from our website, remember that you can have it delivered directly to your device of choice by subscribing to the Hyper Channel Show feed, or you can subscribe to the Trek FM Complete Master Feed, which contains every episode of every show we do, all 16 of them, and some special audio content as well that you can only get there. Now, we would love to chat with you about the stories that we talked about today. Again, as I mentioned, I would especially like to know what you think about the Voyager article. And if you see those same things when you watch the show, find us on Twitter. Our username is TrekFM. On Facebook, we're at facebook.com slash TrekFM. On Google+, you can find our community. Just search for trek.fm and you'll find it there. Hop over there and join the rest of us as we talk about Star Trek. And we do have traditional forums on our website as well at trek.fm slash forums. 
Well, thanks so much for listening today. Again, I'm Christopher Jones. I'll be back tomorrow with some more stories for you. And until then, go watch some Trek. Trek.